and we're going to be talking about uh, being world changers. Uh, what, what does it mean to be a world changer? And we're going to look at that from a, a variety of different perspectives uh, as we get into the Word. And this is Communion Sunday, so a little bit reflective on our own walk with the Lord as we get into this topic. And uh, it's in, in our culture in this new year, 2021, all that we've been through in 2020, all that has been the first month of this year, uh, it's a good time for us to stop and reflect and to focus on what is God's biggest priority for us as believers, as children of God, as those that want to carry God's heart and God's purpose to the earth. With that, I would just say, you know, this, this five weeks that we did on unshakable faith, that's not something that we want to leave in the dust. Amen? Uh, that's something that the idea was to start the year off to get that as our frame of reference and that we move through this year, uh, you, you know, in the context of having unshakable faith. But with that now, I want to spend these next couple of weeks uh, just taking a look at some of the things that are priorities from God's perspective. You know, uh, if you've been around Grace and Peace for any period of time and you uh, look at our vision statement, uh, it, it's encapsulated in, in this, this short phrase that says, we are building the people that shape the world. Building the people that shape the world. We know that that's part of God's mandate and calling for us, not only here at Grace and Peace, but really it's the mandate of the body of Christ. We are called to bring the gospel to all creation. And uh, in that bringing the gospel to all creation, it's then discipling, teaching everyone to do all that Jesus commanded, to walk in obedience to God's ways, to grow up in Christ and keep bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's the calling of the body of Christ until Jesus comes back again. That is our, our main call and our mandate. And as a local church, our, uh, our mandate is to make sure that we equip, that this church family is equipped to walk out all of God's calling, whether it's our calling corporately or whether it's our individual calling in our own unique circles of influence and the use of our gifts that God has given us so that we could be working the advance of God's kingdom. And you know, in, in uh, again, this 2021 season, I think uh, more than ever before in, in our modern generation, what a challenging time it is corporately. Uh, I was thinking about it, I think it's been about 31 years that that I've been walking with the Lord. You know, and it's every so often you take inventory and you realize how many years have gone by. You go, yikes, 31 years, you know. I, and then you realize how old you are and you say, oh, okay, that makes sense. And it's like, wow, time has gone by. How did that happen, right? Uh, I've been in full-time ministry 26 years. That's not as long as others, but certainly over these years, I don't know that I've seen the amount of strife and division in our world and the way that that has been pulling within the body of Christ as well. You know, so there, there's, there's a lot of challenge that we face in this time that we're in. Uh, and you know, in the natural, that maybe could sound a little deflating, maybe a, a little bit depressing, but I think it means that we have the opportunity as the body of Christ for this to be our finest hour. If we'll, we'll really see it through God's eyes, we'll recognize, hey, when, when it's rough around us, it is the opportunity for it to be our, our finest hour. And, you know, when we talk about being people that shape the world, being world changers, to be a radical on-fire world changer, first thing we have to do is we have to see the world the way God does. 
And, and I would even dare say, as we try to navigate, as we try to stand, as we try to be salt and light in a culture that doesn't want to go God's way, it's imperative that we continue to see the world through God's eyes. Can you say amen? We, we don't wrestle in the flesh. We wrestle in the spirit. When we see things through God's eyes, we will respond and wrestle and work through God's way rather than getting dragged down into the muck and the mire. Can you say amen? amen. So, uh, you, you know, somebody who's going to live as a world changer, seeing through God's eyes, we're going to feel his compassion for people. And we're going to be consumed with his passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ in our backyard and around the world. In order to do that, church, we have to acquire and we have to keep God's heart. Seeing through his eyes means seeing with his heart. And I want to talk about that uh, for the remainder of our time before we take communion together here. Uh, how many know, biblically speaking, the heart, and I'm not talking about that muscle that pumps blood, biblically, right? The heart is the most important area of our lives. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So the heart is the center of who you are. Uh, all the rest of your life is a reflection of what's in your heart, right? Scripture tells us it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It tells us in Scripture, as a man, as a woman thinks in their heart, so are they. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? So to live as those that will shape the world in, in, in God's pattern, in God's way, uh, our heart must be overcome by what's in God's heart. What breaks his heart? What gives his heart great joy? For the person who will be a world changer for Christ, the answer to those questions uh, becomes our primary purpose and mission in life on top of everything else that we do. So we need to find out what makes God's heart beat and then become consumed by it. So we'll take a look at that, look into God's heart today. While Jesus was walking on the earth before his death, burial, and resurrection, he did everything possible to teach and to show his disciples what was in the Father's heart. As a matter of fact, we, we hear Jesus saying uh, several times, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. I'm only doing what I hear the Father saying. He was looking to absolutely be on display with what the Father's heart was. So I want to look at God's heart from three, three different perspectives in what Jesus did while he walked the earth. So number one, Jesus taught what was in God's heart. He taught what was in God's heart. If we look at John chapter 4, verses 1 to 33, we're going to look at verses 34 and 35 in a minute. But just to set the context throughout the beginning of that chapter, uh, Jesus runs into this woman uh, at, at the well. Uh, she's a Samaritan woman. And uh, if we don't know the context and the history, there's... Uh, uh, bad blood between the, the Jews in Israel and the Samaritans there. And, and it goes back into the history uh, more than I can get into, you know, to explain it here now. But just suffice it that culturally speaking, there was bad blood between Samaritans and the Jews. Literally, the Jews would look down on the Samaritans. So, so it's a very unusual thing for Jesus to be talking to this woman, but he's trying to teach something. I mean, the disciples aren't even around at the moment, but this conversation 
conversation that Jesus has, he does in, in full, awesome Jesus fashion. You know, he starts asking her some questions, and finally he says, uh, he says, well, hey, go get your husband. And she says, well, well, I'm not married. And, uh, you know, goes and he reads her mail, you know, and, he, and, and uh, you, you know, kind of says, yeah, and, and you're, you're now living in sin. And she says, uh, oh, okay, uh, I'm talking to a prophet here, aren't I? And she starts asking some spiritual questions, and, and it all gets said and done. And uh, she goes back uh, to town, and she says, hey, uh, the, I just met this guy who just, you know, I'm giving our, our modern equivalent of what happened. I just read this guy, or just met this guy who totally read my mail to me. You know, uh, could this be the Messiah? And now the people are gathering. They're curious by what she says. And now they all come out to meet with Jesus. So just get the picture. You know, he's at the well talking with this woman. And now in verse 34, um, you know, the disciples were like, why are you talking to her? What, what, what were you doing here? What was this all about? You know, and, and G, uh, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You know, so they're like, why were you talking to the Samaritan woman? And then Jesus gives this response that I just read. And, and then they're like, Jesus isn't hungry right now. Did he have a snack with him? Did he bring a bagged lunch? Like they just couldn't get what he was trying to teach them. He's trying to paint this picture. I'm trying to show you what's in the father's heart. You're all wrapped up on, did I have lunch? And how could I not be hungry right now? You know, uh, isn't that just like us as people to kind of miss what the Lord is trying to target in bullseye, you, you know? Uh, his disciples were surprised to find him speaking with a Samaritan. Um, but Jesus was, was illustrating with his life that he wouldn't let racial or cultural or whatever perceived barriers of the time, that he wouldn't let them keep him from reaching out in love. And uh, in this, he established church, a standard for us. Right? He laid out this picture. He also did that, by the way, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, when he asked, so who's my neighbor? You know, and, uh, you, you know, everybody kind of had a picture of my neighbor is the person that I want to reach out to. And he said, no, let's talk about being a neighbor is being a neighbor to everybody. Everybody is your neighbor. You know, give opportunity for God to work through you in that. So Jesus taught an intense, consuming desire to reach out to people for the kingdom. Right, I want you to hear some, some key things we need to take away out of that. Intense and consuming. Right? Jesus' heart was so consumed with reaching people, he didn't even care if he ate. Reaching the people is my food. That's basically what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples. So strong was his desire. Maybe he could have added, hey, my drink, my heart, my passion, my oxygen, my all is doing this, reaching out to the people Father loves. This is why I came. Right? And then as followers of Christ, as disciples, born-again believers, we say then that becomes our mission. This is why we are here. Amen? So Jesus pointed to the fields, and can you just get the picture, right? The woman is now gone back, you know, and she's gathering the crowd, and the disciples are, are having this conversation, and Jesus says, look up. The fields are white unto harvest. And I don't know if maybe when they looked out on that landscape, what, what were there, you know, fields of grain that were blowing in the wind, but what they did see was this, this crowd of people starting to make their way toward Jesus. And he's saying, look, the fields are white unto harvest. He was saying, this is what it's all about. 
So uh, our hearts can be consumed with the desire to reach people for his kingdom. Jesus taught that, and he also taught us to penetrate the fields. Notice that Jesus didn't say the field is ripe unto harvest. He said the fields are ripe unto harvest. So uh, he kept talking about reaching the world, that he came for the world, telling others to go reach the world and to pray for the world. In fact, this word world is used 75 different times throughout the four gospels. That does, just doesn't lay the weight of the importance here. And in Jesus teaching us what in God's heart, he also uh, not only reminded that there was plural fields out there, but he taught, taught us to reach each individual person in the field. That it wasn't about the multitudes, that it was about the one. Is it about the multitudes or is it about the individual? Yes. That's exactly what the Lord teaches us. And many of his parables refer to God's heart for the world and, and this context of caring for the one, going after the one. Remember the shepherd that left the 99 to go after the one. Uh, finding the one lost sheep brings joy to God's heart. The, the parable of the wedding feast, the king sent all the invitations and no one would come. So he told his servants, go into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. Church, this is God's heart for the world. And Jesus reiterated over and over again, it's God's heart for people to be reached. So not only did Jesus teach this, but he showed what was in God's heart. And that's our second thing that we want to take away. As Jesus walked the earth, Jesus showed what was in God's heart. Matthew 9, 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had great compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I get concerned as I watch how we are navigating the season that we're in. We must not, as the body of Christ, lose Christ's compassion for the world. When we see the world acting broken, when we see the world acting lost, when we see people working as instruments of the enemy, we can't lose sight that it's those people that Jesus died for as much as he did for us. He didn't die for people on one side of the argument or one side of the fence. He died for everybody, right? While we were still sinners, right? And, and so he showed there was great compassion. Jesus couldn't look on a crowd of people and see nothing. You know, think about this. We've been isolated so much through this last year on Facebook. I got to tell you, I'll just give you my own honesty. I can go through and I can scroll through and I can get sour by some of the foul stuff that I see, by some of the ridiculousness and non the nonsense that I see in our world. I have to make sure, I have to keep my prayer, God help me to see that these are people that you loved and died for. Doesn't mean I condone wrong things. It doesn't mean I don't stand for righteousness, church. Can you say amen? But in that, I can't lose my compassion. I have to make sure I see through the Lord's heart and the Lord's eyes. He could see they were harassed and helpless. He could see they were confused. He, he could see they didn't know how to find God. That Satan had ripped them off and it broke God's heart. They were sheep without a shepherd following the wrong leaders that were leading them off a cliff spiritually. So let's ask ourselves, even as we prepare soon for our communion this morning, what do we see when we look at the masses and the throngs of people around us? What do we see? Do we see that same picture, people that the enemy has ripped off that are lost and confused and see with love and compassion? All right, uh, so Jesus um, also showed us that God's heart of compassion is always then expressed in action. 
right? Jesus would look in the crowds, he would see with compassion, and then he would move. And, and we need to understand that. We have to get God's heart, and God's heart is going to give us compassion. And then as we have compassion, it's going to bring us to a place of moving. The, Jesus, uh, the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion for them. Uh, so what, what does it mean to be moved by compassion? His compassion pushed him out of every place of comfort. Every place of, I'm tired. Every place of, I'm weary. Right? In the garden, you know, Jesus is with the disciples and he's saying, this is, this is game time, guys. You know, in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, he, he's sweating his great drops of blood and the disciples are snoozing. You know, again, he's modeling. He's showing this picture of compassion is moved to action. So I would ask us, as we would have God's heart, we have to have his heart first, and that's going to compel us and move us to be his change agents in the world, the people that shape the world. What kind of things does God want to do through us to demonstrate his compassion around the world? Then our last thought we'll look at here is that uh, not only did Jesus teach, not only did Jesus show, but Jesus challenged others to gain his heart, to gain the Father's heart. Matthew 9, 37, that very next verse. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Come on, how many of us would look around and say, I know that I see much of a harvest. You know, I don't know that I see a whole lot that's looking in favor, but you want to know it from God's perspective. Uh, the fields are ripe unto harvest. You know, uh, Billy Graham uh, organization, they have a publication called Decision Magazine. And one of the things that they uh, highlight in Decision Magazine when COVID hit and everybody became so isolated, uh, they, they uh, started this 24-hour prayer line. You know, and you would think in, in looking in the world and so much of the response and so much of the polarization in the world, there are so many people that have been hurting and lost and broken that called in to say, I need help. I need to find my way. And there are so many of them that met Christ because compassion was extended into action, saying, we're here, we'll be available. You just call us and we'll talk to you, you know, and sometimes the conversation, as a matter of fact, I, I can tell you of testimonies I read of somebody opening up, just barreling off in anger, in frustration. Because church, how many know the media has been working very hard to paint a very distorted picture of what it looks like to belong to Jesus, Right? So you want to know what? Sometimes people are going to fire with both barrels. Let's not respond in the flesh. Let's, and it takes more strength to not respond in the flesh. But what would happen time after time in these testimonies, as, as those barrels would be unloaded and then love responded, there was that broken heart that now got to get connected to Christ. And, and, and a miracle happened as somebody would meet Jesus in the moment, right? So uh, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are oh so few. Luke 10, 23 uh, uh, tells the same thing with a little more detail. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Just go. Might look like the, the landscape is filled with wolves, but we go in the authority and the power of the one who is salvation, the one whose name is above everything else, named uh, above heaven, under heaven, on the earth, below the earth. 
So Jesus challenged us to see the world the way he does. Hey, would you agree with me? For me, sometimes it's hard for me to see the world the way he does. Would anybody else say, yeah, me too? Sometimes it's hard, right? Uh, But Jesus is exhorting his disciples to pray that God would send workers into the harvest field. And I love it. It doesn't just stop at prayer. Oh, Lord, send somebody else. No, Lord, send people and I'm going. You know, and, and that going doesn't necessarily mean out of our nation to the ends of the earth unless he's called us to do that. That means in our circles of influence, in our spheres of influence, we go with first and foremost, primary, the mission of, oh, God loves everybody so much. Jesus died for everybody around me. And, and I'm on mission. I'm on point. So he's helping them to see the world the way God does. Uh, he says, can't you see the harvest is ready to be picked, but there's no one to pick it. And don't you know, in some of the most, uh, the persecution against believers is intensifying all over the world. It's getting more and more dire in China. We know that at places like Iran and Iraq, it's really, really difficult. Do you know that there is a church explosion going on in Iraq? God is bigger than any persecution that will happen. So I I think one of our big takeaways is we can't go by what the harvest might look like. We look through our natural carnal eyes. We'll say, I don't see a harvest. And God says, no, 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 look out there. The fields are white unto harvest. There there needs to be people that will go and pick the harvest. And, and, And again, just to be clear, I'm not suggesting today every person has to walk in the office of the evangelist because we're not all gifted and wired that way. You know, but if we live on mission, our life can be a contribution to the kingdom coming in someone else's life. If we'll live on mission and if we'll carry his heart. It's all got to start with carrying and fostering and maintaining his heart. So what can we do, continue to do? Maybe for some of us, begin to do so that we can see the world the way God does. Just a reminder on some simple things that we can do that will be seed sown into people's hearts. Pray. And it, it starts with prayer. We have to be people that will pray for the lost. Then we share with others. Uh, we'll share our testimony. Uh, I, I, I think it's an important for all of us to be comfortable out of our own shape and how God uniquely made us to be able to uh, explain the gospel to somebody else. That'll take some time and it'll take some practice. Uh, but that's, that's a, so, something that we want to make sure that we are equipped to do. Uh, and then we can bring. We can always bring. Come to church with me. Come to, you know, as, as we move out of COVID, as that'll be happening in the near future here, and fellowships will be happening and all these things. There's all these different ways where, where we can bring. So sometimes we go, sometimes we bring. Our growth groups, church, the ultimate vision for growth groups is that there are these little Uh, clusters of people all around our communities where neighbors can be invited and co-workers can be invited and friends can be invited and 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 and, you know just whether it's the you you know doing doing God's uh, hands and feet and heart into whatever circles of influence that group gathers you know and part of what growth groups will do on a regular basis is some kind of a service project I can remember years back the clunders uh, that there was a meeting in in their home and their service project they painted their neighbor's house 
How cool is that? That the neighbor needed his house painted. I would imagine with great regularity, that guy pulls up to his house, looks at his house, and remembers the love of believers right next door that with no strings attached just came to show the love of Christ to him. Right? So serving and sharing and bringing and going, all these are different ways. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, I'm really excited. There's a great bunch of folks that signed up for our Difference Maker seminars that are coming in just a little bit over a week. And, and uh, <clears throat> there's like four different opportunities to choose from. You just pick one to attend. It's online. And we're going to really dig into detail how do we just in a very practical way grow our comfort level of just being ready to share our faith, introvert, extrovert, you know, uh, whatever wiring of our personality, how do we share out of how God made us just to be able to be ready when those opportunities come? And I, I would say the last thing that we can do here as, as we get ready to close um, is put, put faces on the lost, right? Every time we hear God so loved the world, that's faces, that's people. You know, when we think of nations, you know, I, I was reading recently about a, a very, very unreached, very primitive people group um, in Africa, you know, and I was, I was just thinking to myself about God's love for those folks, and I was just kind of trying to get my mind around how different their experience in this modern world is than everybody else's, and yet at the same time, we, if we're not careful could look and say, well, that's third world. We could almost look at that as, well, that's less than. And yet from God's perspective, there is no such thing. That person is as valuable as whatever other factors we would look to deem on how advanced a culture, a people, a society would be. You know, it's just just wrong thinking. My, My point is when we put a face on a people group, a persecuted group, church, a persecuting group. Realize those are faces, those are souls, those are people that the Lord loves, that the Lord died for, right? I, I want to share a, a closing story. If you, if you want, you can grab your communion, and uh, if you're watching online, uh, if you have, you know, anything prepared, ready, we're going to be taking communion in, in, in just a minute here, but I have a, a story that's been so touching to my heart, so inspirational to me, um, uh, it, it goes back to World War II, and uh, it's looking at the Battle of Dunkirk. So, you know, I know historically we may know the Battle of Dunkirk. Anybody see the movie that came out kind of recently, the Battle of Dunkirk, right? So, you know, uh, British military forces had to retreat to the French coast port of Dunkirk, and they found themselves almost cornered in, and the British army faced a brutal German militia that literally threatened to drive them into the sea. And to save what he could of his army, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill called for all available sea vessels. This was just an extraordinary event in history, large or small, to to come and show up and evacuate the soldiers and the civilians from the, the besieged beaches and to bring them back across the English Channel to safety. It was an unforgettable and terrorizing hour in history. An incredible array of ships and boats raced to the rescue, small fishing boats, huge cruise ships alike. And as the boats and the ships made their way to the beach to rescue the trapped soldiers, Nazi aircraft began to shoot at them like vultures. 
Ships were riddled with machine gun fire and some were blown out of the water entirely. Can, can you just try to get your mind and your heart around what a terrible picture. Three German bombers attacked uh, a defenseless converted cruise liner uh, whose decks and holes were packed with soldiers that they were attempting to rescue. One bomb dropped directly down the ship's smokestack, making a huge gap in the lower hull. So you got the picture, people in the hull underneath, people on top. Because of that fatal blow, nearly 200 men found themselves trapped in the forward hull and now the severely leaking ship. They are literally trapped in a hole and the ship is sinking. No one doubted that the liner was going down. Chaos, smoke of oil, fire, blood mixed with the terrified screams of the men that were trapped below. It created pandemonium on the deck and uh, everybody who just hoped to survive raced toward lifeboats or simply jumped into the waters. But moving deliberately through the middle of this living nightmare, a young Chaplin quietly worked his way to the edge of the hole. Gosh, I get choked up every single time I read this. And he peered at the eternal darkness below. And he paused for a moment, just as another blood-curdling scream came up from that terrorized sea of humanity beneath. And then fully knowing that he could never get out, the young Christian chaplain jumped and dropped himself down into that hole. Survivors later related that the only thing that gave them the courage to survive in their lifeboats until passing ships could rescue them uh, was hearing the strong, brave voices of the men in the hole who followed the leadership of the young chaplain who had begun to sing hymns as the ship slowly rolled over and then plunged eternally to the bottom of the sea. I don't know that God is going to call any of us to go jump in a hole that we're never going to be able to climb out of on behalf of somebody else. But I do know the Lord would love to put such a heart in us that should the moment arise, we wouldn't hesitate to do it. That we would live daily in a way where we'd be ready to jump in a hole because there's somebody in there that Jesus died for that he wants to see with him for eternity. Can you say amen? amen? I don't know what it will look like for each of us in our own unique individual journey, our adventure with him. Uh, but the good news is uh, he will take our heart and our effort. He will take when we come and say, Jesus, I have a few loaves and a couple of fish, but I put it into your hands. And then we watch what God does just through our giving ourselves entirely over to him. So, hey, as we get ready to take communion, as we close here, can we just make it our prayer? You know, so often, you know, uh, in our communion times, there's, there's just different things we'll reflect on. Can we make it our reflection this morning? Lord, do I carry your heart for the lost? We don't want it to be routine. We don't want it to be religious obligation. We want to have our heart in such a place of burden with his that we can't do anything but love the lost, have compassion for them, and then be moved as he moves us. Amen. Father, as we prepare to close the service this morning, taking communion, Lord, we, we pray as it was prayed in your word, search us. 
Lord, search us and know our hearts. God, see if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. And Lord, we are indeed asking God now that you would stir our hearts up. Help us. Help us to see the world around us. Lord, in this hour, in this season that we live, help us to see the world around us the way you do. Help us to see with your eyes, with your compassion. Lord, you taught us, you showed us, and you challenged us to not only pray for laborers, but to be those laborers. So I pray that as we would uh, partake in communion, knowing that in this, Jesus, it's your broken body and it's your shed blood that has cleansed our sin, that has made us righteous, that has made us born again, that we are alive unto you. Lord, please work in our lives that we would fully carry your heart and that we would protect that heart, that we would carry it each day in all of our coming and going. So work powerfully here this morning as we celebrate communion with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's partake. Amen. And so, Father, in all of our coming and going as we would leave this place, in all of our circles of influence, I pray, Lord, fresh anointing on each and every one of us. I thank you for the mind of Christ. And Lord, do a beautiful, beautiful work, your heart as our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.